0: The topic of today's episode is one of my biggest pet peeves, and it's going to be one of my major keynotes in 2023, and I'm developing it right now. But I want to start with, uh, with a joke uh, that I read online. A Japanese company and an American company decided to have a canoe racing in the Missouri River. Both teams practiced long and hard to reach their peak performance before the race. On the big day, the Japanese won by a mile. The Americans were very discouraged and depressed, so they decided to investigate the reason for this defeat, a crushing defeat. A management team uh, made up of senior management was formed to investigate and make recommendations and recommend the appropriate action. Their conclusion was that the Japanese had eight people rowing and one person steering, while the American team had eight people steering and one person rowing. So American management uh, hired a consulting company and they paid them a very large amount of money uh, for a second opinion. They advised that too many people were steering the boat while not enough people were rowing. And to prevent another loss to the Japanese, the rowing team's management structure was totally reorganized to four steering supervisors, three area steering superintendents and one assistant superintendent steering manager they also implemented a new performance system that would give the one person rowing the boat greater incentive to work harder it was called the rowing team quality first program with meetings dinners and and free pens for the rower there was a discussion on getting new paddles canoes and other equipment extra vacation days for practices and bonuses the next year the japanese won the race by two miles Humiliated, the American management laid off the rower for poor performance, halted development of the new canoe, sold the paddles, and cancelled all capital investment for new equipment. The money saved was distributed to the senior executives of the firm as bonuses. The next year's racing team was outsourced in its entirety to a company in the Far East. That was a joke. Not mine, but it's very applicable. American corporate culture is obsessed with leadership. Everyone simply must be a leader or a manager. If you're not striving to become a leader, then something must be wrong with you. Even if you are not a leader, not in a leadership position, we will redefine the word leader to claim that you are, in fact, a leader. Just so that you feel good. This episode will first address the reasons that we are obsessed with leadership, and then the cost of this obsession, and some of those costs, as you can imagine, are to the level of trust in the organization. Finally, I will show you what we can do about it, right after this. first why do we want to be leaders and i'm going to give you four reasons why we want to be leaders why people in in corporate culture in america want to be leaders one of them is money a, a survey by paywatch it's it's really a long um, longitudinal uh, research showed that in 1980 1980 the average ceo salary was about forty times, 42 times higher than the average employee, than, than a normal employee, than a line employee. 40 time, 42 times higher. Now, if you think that that's high, by 2010, it was 343 times higher than the average employee. So one of the reasons we want to go up to leadership or management, and, and we often confuse these two terms, is because we want to make more money we are a capitalistic uh, uh economy and uh money is is valued we want to make more money but but i i want to tell you that not all people do it for money many people will lose will not lose but will leave their job even for a lower paying job for other reasons than money obviously uh, I actually on a flight uh, just this uh, Thursday, uh, I sat next to uh, a person on the plane who was promoted to leadership. She wanted to be in leadership and she told me that she knew up front that she's going to be taking a pay cut because as a salesperson, she was making more probably through commissions and she was willing to take a pay cut. So money is not everything. That's one reason and, and I'm not listing those reasons in, in any order of priority a second reason is power and control. You are when you're in leadership position, you are in a position to control information. Now, the right way to control information is actually to make information available to everyone who needs that. Communicate what's necessary, and I talked about that uh, in, uh, I think, in the last season. But people typically in a position of power, in a position of leadership or management, they would control information by segregating it, by deciding who gets what. And there's a saying which until now I couldn't find who actually ever said it the first time, this quote. He who controls information controls the world. You're in a position to tell people what to do. And to some people, that's a power trip. People have to suck up to you so that they can get promoted, so that they can get bonuses or or whatever, so that they're going to be on your good side. And for some people, for many people, that's a bonus. That's something that they like. They feel good when people have to suck up to them. And, and there are articles uh, from uh, Emerson in 1962 and 1964 who actually analyzed power in organization, even in a mathematical way. But, We strive for power, and the higher up you are in the organization, the more power, the more control you get. And for many people, that's something that they strive to. A third reason is people want to be in a leadership position or in a management position because they don't want to be managed or really micromanaged. Because if you have a good leader, if you have a good manager, it doesn't feel bad. It feels good. You would follow that person through thick and thin, through fire through and, and I remember in the military in in my military service there were leaders that I would follow through fire and there are leaders that I was very very careful uh, in following. So it, it's really it's not that you you like you don't like to be managed you don't like to be micromanaged. you don't want to be managed by a bad manager. But for some people, the fact that they don't want to be managed is uh, is a reason why they want to go higher up in the organization. One thing I can tell you is you will always be managed by someone Uh, unless you're really an individual contributor. And and the question is, how do you look at your customers? Do you look at your customers as people who manage you? And and I don't. I, I look at my customers as people that I help. Uh, and, uh, and I don't believe that the customer is always right, but you know, that's, uh, that's a side topic. So some people want to be leaders, want to be managers because they don't want to be managed themselves. And, and finally, and that, that's, that's going to be the main topic of, of this episode today. People want to be managed because, or leaders, because our culture is obsessed with leadership. Uh, you know, I went through a program called leadership Plano. It had nothing to do with leadership. Really? Uh, it, it was all to do with the city that we live in and, and all the different facilities and, and organizations uh, and how the city is managed. It wasn't about leadership, but it was called Leadership Plano. I was on a board of an organization called Plano Youth Leadership. Had nothing to do with leadership. Again, it was the same program just for younger people, but we have to put the word leadership there. And, and you know, our culture, when I say our culture is obsessed with, with the term leadership, it, it's to the point of... If you don't want to be a leader, maybe something is wrong with you. Uh, EFMD did a study in 2010, and what they found was that uh, EFMD is is an accreditation body of management education. Uh, th- there are different accreditation bodies for universities and, and other um, other institutes, education institutes, uh, and what they found was that leadership was the number one topic pursued by corporate buyers of education. More than 90%, 90, percent of the respondents to their survey said that the number one topic that was pursued, and and those were corporate buyers of education, so training managers, human resource managers, number one topic, more than 90% of them said it was um, leadership. And, And the second one, by the way, Was general management development. That was the second most popular one. 68% of the respondents said that this was an area of focus. So, you want to tell me that we're not obsessed with that? Now, yeah, I know we made the definition, the distinction between a leader and a manager by whether you have authority, that makes you a manager, or you don't have authority uh, and therefore you're a leader. So you lead people. Leaders must have followers, otherwise they're not a leader. But you know, our obsession goes to the point where I can't tell you how many times I hear this statement, everyone's a leader. I keep telling people I'm not a leader. I'm not a leader of people. Oh, but but you tell your customers how to do things. You, you train them and so on. So you are a leader. No, I'm not. I'm not a leader. And and we need to stop saying everybody's a leader because not everybody's a leader. And the thing is, we say this because we feel that if you don't, you're not a leader or you don't want to be a leader, then something's wrong with you. Nothing is wrong with you by not wanting to be a leader. And by the way, when we say everyone's a leader, that's That's total BS. You know, that's political correctness. I'll tell you something. When somebody uses that with me and says, everyone's a leader, you are a leader. I feel so much BS coming from that, that I will not trust them. Now, you may be setting an example for people by what you do as an individual contributor. You may be mentoring others, you may be coaching others, you may be training others, you may wanna make sure that what you know and how well you know it and how good you are in your job goes to other people. Other people gets that. That's okay, but, but it's, it's not called leadership. And, and it's okay that we don't call it leadership. You, you know, to be a leader, you, you must have followers, right? Or people that you lead. So let, let me ask you a question. If you're a software programmer, are you a leader? Now, I know you're, you're going to say, well, if you're the team lead of... The, I'm not talking about being the team lead of the software team. You're a software programmer that develops amazing, ungodly amount of software that's really great. Does that make you a leader? No. Is it bad that you're not a leader? No. People rely... Lives rely on the quality of your software. If you're a surgeon, does that make you a leader? Oh, people might say, well, when you're in the uh, operating room uh, and, and you tell everybody else what to do, then you are a leader. No, you're a surgeon because you know how to use your hands, your eyes, your experience and to heal people through surgery doesn't make you a leader. And it's very valuable without you being a leader. Is a pilot a leader? Okay, so you're going to say, well, the captain of the plane is a leader and the co-pilot and and maybe the flight attendants, uh, they are the followers. Well, what if it's a single plane, a single person plane, which, you know, in many cases it is. Are you a leader? You're not. Is it important that you're a good pilot? It is. Do you have to be a leader to be a good pilot? No. How about a military sniper? I never wanted to be led. I never wanted to lead anyone in the military either. I wanted to do my job and do my job the best way I could. I know how to fire a rifle more than many people. I know how to calculate ballistics. I know how to put a bullet exactly where I need to. Doesn't make me a leader and that's okay because my skills are required. (music) By the way, could you tell up until now that that is a pet peeve of mine? It is. Drives me crazy, that this obsession with leadership. But you know, you can't have everybody being leaders. Think about, you know, my last example, military. Think about everybody in a small team becomes a leader. We're all trying to pull in different directions. You know, we're, we're going to have democracy in the battlefield, Everybody thinks that we should do something else. No, you don't have room for that. One of the components of my relative trustworthiness model is personality compatibility, and you know I used to to think of this more of as as being the same with other people. Shared value was a very powerful value uh, was a very powerful component of trustworthiness. Eighty six percent correlation with trust shared values but you know what personality compatibility goes beyond being the same it goes into being complementary sometimes imagine that you have a type a, a team or that where everybody is a type a personality things have to be my way everybody's an inventor nobody knows how to execute everybody knows how to execute nobody knows how to invent and come up with ideas would that work would that be productive or, or innovative no you have to have different people. You have to have a leader that, that and, and there are roles that come with leadership, but not everybody has to be leader. In fact, it would hurt if ever, everybody was leaders. Oh, but but we're telling everybody that you are a leader. Let's talk about the costs. Cost number one, you lose individual contributor Talent. So I have to tell you a story, and and I told it, you know, in an episode uh, a few uh, seasons ago. Uh, Back in uh, 2002, I joined Texas Instruments while still living in in California, and uh, my wife immediately asked if we're going to have to move to Texas. And I said, "Oh no, we're not going to have to do that." My office was actually still in California. Yes, I communicated with people in Dallas, but we're not going to have to move to Texas. She said, but what if they wanted you to be a general manager of a business unit that is in Texas and uh, then we're going to have to move? I told her, I, I really don't see that happening. Sure enough, one year, five months later, they merged a couple of business units. It had an element of technology that I was very involved with and they said, uh, they asked me to come in and run a $100 million business unit uh, with 89 people. Um which, which since then, whenever my wife says something like this, I, I take it a lot more seriously than, than I did before. You know, w- one thing that I noticed when, when I took my four direct reports, I, we, we did like a, a strategic thinking um, and uh, offsite. And, and just to kind of kick it off, I, I had everyone, all four of them and myself, take Myers-Briggs uh, MBTI. And uh, this was, I think, the third time I already took that. And so I I had a sense of what I'm gonna see. and, And sure enough, what I saw was that I was very, very different than them. Now in 2004, our business did great. It went up, our revenue went up, profitability went up. Everybody was happy with me as the general manager, except for one thing it wasn't because of me it went up because the economy was recovering it went up because i had great people doing their job it went up despite of me and not because of me and in 2004 at some time at some point my boss suggested that i go to this uh one week uh, um I don't know how to call it a conference. It wasn't really a conference. It was a training. It was done by the Center for Creative Leadership in Colorado Springs. And she said, why don't you go there? It was called Developing the Strategic Leader. So obviously, I, I had some leadership skill issues, which I do. I- and I know that. And I admit to that. I don't care what you're going to say that-, that I am a leader after all. I'm not. And-, and I'm And if I am, I'm not a good one. And um, so I went through this week. Uh, you know, there are a lot of uh, 360s coming in, and uh, from from people I worked with, uh, my boss, my my direct employees, uh, people around me. And um, after after that week, which which was an amazing week, at the end, I sat down with a psychologist, and the psychologist said, uh, "Let's frame our conversation around." A question and her question the question she wanted to use was uh are you a startup person or a large company person because i i, I served in in startups i started startups i worked in startups uh but at that time you know texas instruments is uh, with thirty five thousand employees is anything but a startup and uh, i said you know what it's a great question, but I have a better question or I I won't call it a better question. It was a question that bothered me much more. And that is, am I a leader or an individual contributor? And she said, that's great. uh, And, um, let, let's have the conversation around that one which we did for two hours after the two hours it was kind of the end of that week uh, we had our graduation and I flew back to Dallas and I knew what I had to do Monday morning and Monday morning walked into my uh, boss's office and said I don't want to run the business anymore and, and like any good boss the first react her first reaction was no And, you know, we had that conversation for about a week and and after a week, she finally agreed with me and I told her I'm an individual contributor. And, you know, I'm not going to go too deep into the story of USB 3, but if I had stayed as the general manager of that business unit, we would not have USB 3.0 today, period. There's no, I mean, there's no ifs and buts here. Because USB 3.0 started with a push, a really hard push that I had when I went up to Intel at Hillsboro three times until I managed to convince them and then come back to find that my own company doesn't want to do it. And I pushed hard and hard and hard and eventually we have had and have USB 3.0. Today, with all the content that I develop, I'm I'm contributing. I believe a lot more than if I would have been a leader, than if I would be the CEO for Texas Instruments today, and that's okay. So, cost number one we, of of our obsession with leadership is that we lose individual contributors by promoting them to become leaders. <music> Cost number two, when you get bad leadership, you lose employees. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Peter Principle. Uh, That's actually a book. It's not just the principle itself. Uh, And the Peter Peter Principle uh, essentially boils down to people will always get promoted to their level of incompetence. I'll, I'll say this again. People will always get promoted to their level of incompetence. So, why are some people bad leaders and And I'm gonna give you let's see three. I'm gonna give you three reasons. One is because they don't know how to be good leaders and And the area that they're lacking is competence that they lack the capacity. And this always reminds me uh from a scene in uh, I don't remember if it was the first or second Shrek movie when Shrek and Donkey are held upside down in this dungeon and Shrek and the Donkey keeps yelling. Um they didn't call they didn't tell me uh, read me the Miranda rights, my Miranda Rides. They didn't say that I have uh the, the right to remain silent. And Shrek tells Donkey, but you do, Donkey, you do have the rights to remain silent. What you lack is the capacity. You know, I'll, I'll take you back to my time at Texas Instruments when one time I, I had to do, uh, fill my own personal self-assessment for the year, which is something that uh, human resources uh, have you go through. And uh, as I do that, they uh, ask for um, my strengths. There was a field where I can list my strengths. So I wrote uh, strategy, industry relations, uh, uh, innovation, And then the second question was, if the first one was, what are your strengths? What do you think the next one was? What were my weaknesses? No. Areas for improvement. We're so politically correct today that we're not going to call it my weaknesses. Areas for improvement. And so I wrote... Innovation, strategy, industry relations, same three. So I get called to the human resources office and they said, well, you filled your self-assessment form incorrectly. I'm like, how do you fill your self-assessment form incorrectly? I mean, this is your self-assessment form. How can you do that incorrectly? They said, you wrote the same things for strengths and areas for improvement. I said, well, uh, what's wrong with that? They said, well, in areas for improvement, you need to write the areas where you're, well, not strong at. And I said, you know, if that's what you wanted, you should have called it weaknesses. I have no problem admitting to my weaknesses. I have weaknesses, I have plenty of weaknesses. But you didn't ask about weaknesses, you asked for areas for improvement. So let me tell you something. I'm going to work. I care more about working on my strengths and turning them into greatness than working on my weaknesses and turning them into mediocrity. Because I will never turn a weakness into anything beyond mediocrity. I don't care about it that much. I'm not willing to spend the time, the effort, the energy. What if leadership is not one of your strengths? As as a natural strength. So for some people, it is. You know, they're bad leaders because they don't know how to be good leaders, but they do have the natural tendency to be a good leader. So it's really just a matter of training and knowledge and and, and experience. But for other people, it's just, it's not a string. And that's why they're bad leaders. The second reason why some people are bad leaders is because they can't. They can't be good leaders. And and I'll I'll explain that. So, you know, my egg law of trust says that trust is the product of my trustability, my willingness to trust other people and your trustworthiness. And there's almost nothing you can do about the former, my trustability, my willingness to trust people and everything you can do about your own trustworthiness, which is why I always tell people work on your trustworthiness. That should be your focus in building trust. Well, some people have low trustability. I'm one of them. I, I, I don't trust people much. And we are the sum of our experiences. You know, it's it's not that I'm trying to deflect uh, my, my part in it, but but there are certain things that I went through, and I'm not going to go through the stories here because I don't want to talk. This, this is not going to be a full day episode. Um, but there are reasons why I don't trust people very much. But here's the thing: I'm not the only one. You know, when I did my survey, and before before I go there, so the fact that I have low trustability, you know what? I'll, I'll get there. I'll I'll tell you why why it, it has this impact. But I'm not the only one. When when I asked this question in my 2018 survey, uh, what is the most important quality for you in other people? 61.2 percent said it was trustworthiness. But out of the six types of relationships, only five. Head trustworthiness in number one. One of them, when I asked leaders about their followers, number one quality with 47.5%, almost half, was the willingness to work hard. And you know what Henry Ford once said? Why is it that every time I ask for a pair of hands, they come with a brain attached? Elon Musk, just uh, after firing a lot of people at at Twitter, after taking over Twitter, just said, I expect you to work harder. Not, I expect you to be more trustworthy. Leaders said that 47.5% or 47.5% of leaders said that the number one quality for them in their employees is the willingness to work hard. Only 39%, number two, was trustworthiness. So, If I don't care as a leader, if I don't care about your trustworthiness as the top one, doesn't it mean that I don't care about trusting you? And if I don't care about trusting you, I don't even intend to give you autonomy. So I have low trustability. And because I have low trustability, I don't trust people. I don't give them the autonomy. There's a 67% correlation between how much I trust you and, uh, and, and how much autonomy I'm going to give you. And if I have low trustability, I have low trust. If I have low trust, it correlates 67% with being micromanager. Autonomy, and, and this goes back to my doctoral research, autonomy had has a 47% correlation with creativity and productivity. So we're going to get less productivity, less creativity, because I don't trust you, and I'm not giving you the autonomy that that you need. So it's not that I don't want to; I can't, and I can't because of you know my history. Then you lose employees. You lose employees because when you don't trust them, you know I, I use um, I use a lot of research so- resources uh, for. Uh, research that was done before me and some research that was actually done by me on the impact of high level of trust on different aspects of the business and, and the employees. But but typically it's if uh, people are uh, more trust, uh, if there's a higher level of trust, then uh, you would experience 74% less stress. How about I'm going to turn that around? What, how do we compare low trust versus high trust? So I'm turning those numbers around. When you don't trust your employees or when your employees don't feel that their leader trusts them, they will feel 317% more stress, 37.5% less joy, 36% lower job satisfaction, 33% less likely to stay another year. You want to talk about the great resignation? Low trust, 33% less likely to stay another year. And, and by the way, the the best way to recruit new employees is by your current employees uh, telling future employees, you should come and work for this company. Well, when you trust them less, they're 47% less likely to recommend this this place to somebody else that they know. more burnout. Uh, By the way, it's not just that you lose employees. You get poor team and company performance. Your project performance, being on time, on budget, on spec, is going to be 31% worse. The company or your team is going to be 39% less productive and innovative. You're going to have 74% lower shareholder returns. Your shareholder returns would be a quarter of what they were when you were, uh, where, if you were a good leader. By the way, not all employees need or want autonomy. There was a study done by the Liverpool Hope University School of Business in 2014. and 78% of the employees said that the work autonomy was important to them, but but and, and that there was a correlation, uh, strong positive effect on creativity and productivity, which I already know. But uh, not not 100%, still 78%. You're, you can lose 78% because you don't give them autonomy and you don't give them autonomy because you don't trust them. You don't trust them because you have low trustability, which is something that's the sum of all of your experiences. But doesn't matter, you are not someone who should be a leader. Um, You know, one other reasons why some people are not good leaders is because they don't want to be. They just don't want to be. They they never wanted to be leaders. But because we as corporate culture are so obsessed with leadership, then this spills over to them. We make them feel that they're bad people by not wanting to be leaders. But they just don't want to be leaders. And guess if they're going to be good leaders if they don't want to be good leaders? By the way, I didn't ask to be sent for the Center for Creative Leadership. I wanted to go to this one week that I found was interesting about, uh, I think it was strategy or innovation in Harvard. And it's not this, the Center for Creative Leadership was not as good. It was a great experience, but I didn't ask for it. We're obsessed with leadership. So I was sent to training, to leadership training. Now, the last thing that I have to say about... The, the 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 fact that we, we tell people that they have to be leaders or, or our obsession is that demotion is unacceptable. Our culture says that being demoted is, is unacceptable. What I did when I went to my boss and I said, I don't want to be a leader anymore, was really unacceptable. It was unique. People don't do that. I did because I realized that I wanted to enjoy my job a lot more. That money was not the issue. I wanted to have more fun. I knew that I can contribute more. I felt a lot better when I came up with things like USB 3.0. And pushed for them and got them done. And, And other things as well. Then if I was a leader and all I had to do is just lead people, give them the big picture and show them the right direction and encourage them and support them. It's not that those are not important things. It's just it was not for me. But the motion is unacceptable in our culture. The third cost is a reduced leader job satisfaction. The leader herself or himself they're going to have less job satisfaction if this is not something that they enjoy. You know, if, if you got a job, whatever job it is, if, if you got a task and you're not good at it, would you enjoy it? No. The, the same applies to not just an individual contributor job, but, but to a, being a leader. If you're not a good leader, if your people don't don't like following you, and I can tell you that the people that followed me in Texas Instruments, they didn't enjoy it. I have to admire them for sticking with me. And I really, truly believe that none of them went to my boss and said, why did you have him as our boss? They were loyal to someone they didn't know. And, you know, the more I think about that, the more the more I appreciate them. But, but I didn't enjoy it. And they didn't enjoy having me, but I already talked about that. So cost number three is you take someone who loves what they do and you put them in a position where they don't. So their own job satisfaction goes down. And because we made the motion unacceptable, culturally unacceptable, they're not gonna ask to come back to, to an individual contributor role like I did. That That's the, the exception, not the rule. And they're going to be stuck there until they they leave the company. So you had you put somebody in a bad position. You they're not happy. Their followers are not happy. The results are bad, and they're leaving because they're not happy. What was the value in that? So that's cost number three: the reduced job satisfaction of the leader themselves. Cost number four, reduced trust among team members, the team members themselves. So I want you to think about the organization as a pyramid, which you already do. You know, there, there are a lot of, uh, you know, food soldiers, uh, line employees, whatever, individual contributors. There are a lot of individual contributors. Unfortunately, we look at them as being at the lower level. And I have to admit, by the way, that there are companies and Texas Instruments is one of them that has kind of something that's parallel to uh, leadership, uh, the leadership ladder, and they call it the technical ladder. So you can be an individual contributor and highly appreciated and regarded within the company without being a leader. But I want you to think about this as a pyramid and I'm talking about leadership levels or management levels as a pyramid And obviously, the higher you go, the fewer people you have. And assuming that you're not bringing those people from the outside, then those people are going to be homegrown from within the team. One of the six components of my relative trustworthiness model is symmetry. And symmetry to me is, imagine this wall outside of the team or outside of our relationship And we have to be on the same side of that wall. And what puts us on the same side of the wall could be the vision, the mission, things that pull us in. It could be things on the other side of the wall, like a common enemy. And a common enemy can be outside of the company, like, you know, a competitor, the budget, the economy, whatever. It could actually be, you know, our boss who's not a good boss. And, and because of that, uh, you know, the boss is on the other side of the wall and we're on this side of the wall, which by the way, would be one of the things that identify a good boss and that's that you feel that they're on the same side of the wall as you are. And, and there are other things, but imagine knowing that your boss at some point is going to move on to another position in the company. Vertical or lateral, doesn't matter. And that there is a good probability that the next leader of this team comes from within the team. Yep, you're right. That's competition. Now we're competing for promotion. And when we compete from promotion for promotion, then we lack symmetry. And what happens is that every one of us wants to show the leaders or show the people who are going to decide who the next leader is that how much they contribute. And you know what? Maybe even how little others contribute. Can't tell you how many times I've seen that. Being in a leadership position that I never wanted. People coming to me and, uh, you know, Tooting their own horn and, and uh, downplaying the contribution of others. What do you think that does to, uh, to trust within the team? And, and by the way, as a leader, you probably, whether you want it or not, you probably have your favorite to who's going to uh, follow you. You may be mentoring a few members. And as a result, those in the team feel that you're being unfair. Once again you lose trust within the team. And and eventually, once someone from within the team does get promoted, others on the team who felt that maybe they deserve the promotion, they may leave. Or or just that, you know, the, the... all of a sudden, the instant lack of symmetry with someone that was symmetrical to them up until now, and from now on becomes their boss, that, that lack of symmetry um, or instant lack of symmetry would cause people to leave. So this obsession with leadership and knowing that people within the team, one of them is going to get promoted to, to be the next leader, causes for competition, it reduces the level of trust between team members. I talked about four costs of uh, our obsession with leadership. One of them is that you lose individual contributor talent by promoting them. The second is that you may gain bad leadership and as a result, lose employees. The third is that The leader themselves uh, may experience a reduced job satisfaction because they're not good at it. They don't enjoy it. And the fourth one is that you affect, you negatively, adversely affect the level of trust between team members by knowing that one of them may get uh, promoted to be the leader. So what should you do? And I'm going to be upfront with you I told you at the beginning that I'm building this to be a keynote for next year. I'm still working on this part on what should you do. So, so this is going to be brief, relatively brief, but, but I'm going to touch on, uh, touch on a few main points. One is you need to recognize or, or, or be able to assess yourself, evaluate yourself to know if you have leadership material. To, to know, and this is important, to know if you suffer from low trustability, which many people do, for, because, you know, we again, we are all the sum of our experiences. Just know that you're going to be a micromanager. I was a micromanager. I, I, I know that. I'm not proud of it. It's not a good thing. It comes for having low trustability, and low trustability leads to low trust in my people. Low trust leads to not giving them uh, autonomy and instead giving them micromanager, micromanagement, that was bad. And I recognized that in myself, and that was one of the reasons why I said I should not be a leader. So the first is, is to give people the ability to know if they have the capacity, the, the interest, the, the knowledge, the experience, you know, training is something you can get, but some of them you can't. I mean, we can't say that that everybody can be a good leader. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that I can. So that's the first thing. Give people the ability to evaluate, to assess their themselves. Let the company uh, do assessments as well to know if you're going to be successful in being a leader before we put you in that position. Now, if you're a good individual contributor, let's let's drop the Peter principle of we're going to have to vertically uh, promote you to management. No, what you need is is you need to be able to train other people. You need to mentor other people, get other people to be very good individual contributors. If you can, if you can, that's fine as well, because you are still a good individual contributor. Reduce the pay gap. Make sure that that's not a reason why somebody is going to want to be a leader. And, and again, I told you, I sat next to a person in a plane uh, just Thursday who told me that she knew up front that she's going to take a pay cut by becoming a leader. And she still wanted to do that because she wanted to be a leader. I mean, I'll tell you, I was not very far from if somebody would have told me that I'm going to be taking a pay cut. Actually, they did because they said that the salaries are lower in Texas compared to California. My answer was, well, that's a non-starter. I ended up getting a a raise. They shouldn't have given me a raise. They should have said, no, sorry, Uh, leadership doesn't pay more. When you reduce the pay gap, you're going to eliminate one of the reasons why people, one of the wrong reasons why people want to be leaders. Stop promoting leadership for everyone. That's number four. Stop promoting leadership forever. Not everybody has to be a leader. You know, stop making people feel that that uh, being an individual contributor is makes you a lesser person. Number five, accept the enjoyment of being an individual contributor. You know I'm I enjoy what I do. I, I'm, I'm an individual contributor right now. I don't have scores of people doing the work for me. I enjoy coming up with the things that I'm recording. I'm enjoying recording myself. I'm enjoying editing the podcast before I post it. Except that you can enjoy individual contributor, uh, being an individual contributor, that you don't have to be a leader just to enjoy your job. And beyond that, train leaders. Part of leadership training has to be that they value individual contributors and they show individual contributors that they value them. The individual contributors must feel valued. We have to stop our obsession with leadership. We have to stop making people feel that they will only be valued if they are leaders. You know what? I'm looking at the time. We're almost 47 minutes. I'm I'm done. But uh, just recording this, I I know that I'm passionate about this topic. So I feel really good about this being uh, or becoming one of my main keynotes for 2023. Uh, If you have any comments, I would really appreciate you sending them to me. Uh, I'm going to try and use this episode as much as I can in an article. I'm going to write articles based on it uh, as much as I can to um, to really provoke people's reactions to this so that it it will be a better uh, keynote by the time that I record it. This was episode 10 of season seven. Uh, We got two episodes left uh, until the end of the year. If there's any topic you want me to talk about in Trust, just let me know. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at the trust If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it, write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you and can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.